We are in Ezekiel chapter 19. This is a lamentation. I'm sure everybody knows this, but of course a lamentation is a funeral dirge. This is something that is typically done at a funeral when somebody is going to be buried. And you take up a lamentation for the princes of Israel and say, What was your mother? A lioness. Among lions she crouched. In the midst of young lions she reared her cubs. And she brought up one of her cubs, and he became a young lion. And he learned to catch prey. He devoured men. The nations heard about him. He was caught in their pit. And they brought him with hooks to the land of Egypt. When she saw that she waited in vain, that her hope was lost, she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. Commentary that I have here says that these are the descendants of Josiah. The first of Josiah's sons was Jehoaz, and he was made king, and then he was deposed by the Egyptians. So that would talk about the one who got taken down with hooks to the land of Egypt. By the way, you know this taken down with hooks kind of stuff? If you look at old drawings, they literally did that. What they would do is they would take hooks and run them through their lips and put a lead on them and walk them back from Israel to Egypt or from Israel to wherever they were going. I mean, they were taken back as captives in humiliation. So when you see this stuff in Scripture, it, it is not necessarily metaphorical. It may, in fact, be literal. Then we skip one. So the first one was Jehoaz, who became thrown after Josiah's untimely death, and Pharaoh Necho II took him down to Egypt. King after that was Jehoahaz. After Jehoahaz was Jehoiakim. He lived out his life in the land. And again, the commentary I have says this one is not talking about him, so it's only talking about kings who were exiled. So the next one after that is Jehoiachin. And if you have trouble telling those apart with my broken Hebrew, I don't blame you a bit. But anyway, there are three descendants of Josiah. And by the way, who's the lioness? The lioness is Israel. She's the one that raises up the kings, if you will. And interestingly, I was talking with the youth today in yeshiva. And where does this idea of lion and lioness originate? The blessing over Judah in Genesis 49, where Jacob blesses his son and he calls Judah at that time a lion. So these lion metaphors are descendants of David. So this is the end of the Davidic line that is being talked about. Genesis 49, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And most of your translations will say until Shiloh comes there, which is a messianic term. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's coat to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So what you have here is the entire history of the Judaic kings from David through Yeshua. 
So what you have is Judah becomes the king. That's David. He's the first king of Judah, of the line of Judah. Then the next one is binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. And you had Yeshua, remember, coming in riding on a donkey. What's the vine? The vine is Israel. Then you have, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. Hmm. That begins to sound like the second coming. When he comes back and he wades through the blood of his enemies up to the horse's bridles. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. What do you suppose teeth are? That's his army. And remember in Revelation it says he comes riding on a white horse at the head of his army. And how is his army clothed? In white raiment. So here you've got the entire history from David through the culmination of Yeshua's earthly reign. Now the thing that's interesting here, let's go down and read Joseph. This, by the way, is where all the trouble starts. Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attack him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. What does that sound like? Joseph gets the blessing of Abraham. If you read the blessing given to Abraham, passed down to Isaac and passed down to Jacob and uh, stolen by Jacob, remember when Isaac wanted to bless Jacob, he tried to split the blessing in half. He had the blessing of prosperity and he had the blessing of the land and leadership and inheritance and all that kind of stuff and he tried to split them apart. All of that's here on Joseph. And you remember when Jacob adopted Ephraim and Manasseh. And he said, your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, are my sons. And they will inherit equally with all the rest of my sons. Which is to say then, Joseph gets a double portion. Because Ephraim and Manasseh each get a single portion, along with the other twelve, which means Joseph, who is the father of Ephraim and Manasseh, gets a double portion. So he gets the blessing of the firstborn, he gets the blessing of the material, he gets the spiritual blessing, he gets all of the blessing of Abraham. Judah doesn't get that. So, what you have is you have set up the material for civil war. Because you've got two major tribes. You've got Joseph and Judah, who are the two biggest tribes on the block. And each one of them thinks, I'm the man. Because Joseph has got the blessing of Abraham that was passed down through Isaac and Jacob. Judah says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Dad told me I was going to be king. you got two alpha males here. And of course, God initially solves that problem by putting Benjamin between them. And Benjamin is nothing if not fierce. He's a wolf, right? And so Benjamin keeps them separated until David unites the country under the monarchy. And that lasts exactly... Two generations, David and Solomon. 
and then it immediately comes apart, and that leads to all the rest of this nonsense that we're talking about. That's the divided kingdom. Israel gets sent off first, which, by the way, is Joseph again. So Joseph is out there somewhere, and he's got the blessing of Abraham on him. And not only that, when Ephraim returns, it's all going to come back. And there's going to be a whole lot of people out there who think that they're Episcopalians and Catholics and Baptists and Mormons and whatever, and are going to find out, no, you're Ephraim. And I think that's right. Because God keeps track of his stuff, and that blessing didn't just evaporate when the northern kingdom was sanded off. And then Judah is what's left and what's being talked about here in Ezekiel. I'm back in Ezekiel somewhere. Five. When she saw that she waited in vain, in other words, this young king had been taken off to Egypt and it was not coming back. When she, the lioness, saw that she waited in vain, that her hopes were lost, she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. He prowled among the lions. He became a young lion. He learned to catch prey. He devoured men and seized their widows. He laid waste their cities, and the land was appalled, and all who were in it at the sound of his roaring. So this is, again, a fierce king. The nations set against him from provinces on every side. They spread their net over him. He was taken in their pit. With hooks, they put him in a cage and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him into custody that his voice should no more be heard on the mountains of Israel. So this would have been the king before Zedekiah. Then that's Jehoiah Chin. And he was taken into exile by Nebuchadnezzar. And that leaves Zedekiah on the throne. And that starts in verse 10. Your mother was like a vine in a vineyard, planted by the water, fruitful and full of branches. By reason of abundant water, its strong stems became rulers, scepters. It towered aloft among the thick boughs. It was seen in its height with the mass of its branches. But the vine was plucked up in fury, cast down to the ground. The east wind dried up its fruit. They were stripped off and withered. As for its strong stem, fire consumed it. Now it is planted in the wilderness, in a dry and thirsty land. And fire has gone out from the stem of its shoots, has consumed its fruit, so that there remains in it no strong stem, no scepter for ruling. This is a lamentation and has become a lamentation. By the way, this is prophetic. At the time that this is written, we are yet five years out from the destruction of Jerusalem and the taking of Zedekiah into exile. The dispersion of Judah happens in three chunks. You have Nebuchadnezzar puts him under tribute and takes some of the young men and so forth. And then they're under tribute for a while and then they go into rebellion and he takes this middle king back to Babylon with hooks in a cage. And then Zedekiah himself rebels again after Nebuchadnezzar puts him on the throne. And Nebuchadnezzar will go through and that's when the first temple is destroyed. The city is sanded off flat. Zedekiah is taken up to somewhere up on the Euphrates River where Nebuchadnezzar's field headquarters is. They kill his sons in front of his eyes and then they blind him and take him back to Babylon. 
It says in one prophecy, he'll never see captivity. And so he thinks, whew, I'm safe. And what he doesn't realize is they'd heat up a sword blade and hold it right in front of their eyes. And what happens is the fluid in your eyes cooks like a hard-boiled egg. So your eye looks undamaged, but you're in fact blind. Chapter 20. In the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, Certain of the tribes of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, me being Ezekiel. Now remember we did this a couple of chapters ago, didn't we? What God says is when Israel, who is in idolatry, goes to inquire of one of his prophets, it ain't going to go well. So now he's going to do that. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Is it to inquire of me that you come? (laughs) Are you talking to me? (laughs) As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Let them know the abominations of their fathers and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, Cast away the detestable things. Your eyes feast on every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. First off, he says, did you come to inquire of me? Don't waste your time. I'm not going to be inquired of you. So then he goes through the history. And this first vignette that I just read is the generation that came out of Egypt and died in the wilderness. He said one of the things that they would not do is they would not give up their Egyptian idols. And of course we know of the unfortunate incident with the golden calf. And I don't know whether that's the only incident that's being talked about here. It reads like it's more than that, but I don't know. I am at eight and a half. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the lands of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name that it would not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. So what he's saying is, I brought you out of Egypt, told you to get rid of your idols. You wouldn't do that. I was really inclined to sand you off flat at that point. But Moses, it didn't say Moses here, but Moses in fact reminded me of the fact that if I did, my name would be dragged through the dirt among all the nations of the land. So I refrained. I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. There's a couple ways you can look at this. One way you can look at it is God brought them out of there and laid down the law. Okay, all right, here are the rules. That's not the way I look at it. 
the way I look at it is God brought them out of there and gave them his most precious possessions, which were his Torah and his Sabbath. In other words, I took you out there, and even though you didn't deserve it, I gave you the very best that I had. I gave you every opportunity to turn away from what you were and what you were worshiping and turn to me because I withheld nothing from you. That's the way I look at that. The Ten Commandments can be looked on, I think, very well as ten blessings. Those who are gods won't be liars. They won't be thieves. They won't be adulterers. They won't be any of these things. And and we are taught to look at them as, oh, here are these ten things that you really want to do, but God's going to get on your case if you do any one of them. And I don't think that's the way they're meant. I think the way they're meant is, if you are one of mine, these are not your character traits. Thirteen. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. And again, the way I choose to read this is, I gave them the most valuable things that I had, and they trod them into the mud. It would be sort of like for a man, I gave her this wedding ring and bought her this beautiful wedding dress, and she took it out and walked in the mud with it. No more respect for me than that, is the way I would read that. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. Because they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statutes and profaned my Sabbath, for their heart went after their idols. Nevertheless, my eye spared them, and I did not destroy them or make a full end of them in the wilderness. So this is the generation that perished in the wilderness. And they died a so-called natural death. He did not wipe them out on the spot. They died by attrition in the succeeding 40 years. And I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes, and they were not careful to obey my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. They profaned my Sabbaths. Tries with the next generation, and it doesn't work any better. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries, because they had not obeyed my rules, but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbath, and their eyes were set on their father's idols. What he's talking about here is the blessings and cursings passage in Deuteronomy. I told them in the wilderness that I was going to scatter them among the nations. If you read the end of Deuteronomy in the section on Leviticus, that's what it says. Then the Torah was given in the wilderness. So he told them before they went into the land that this was eventually going to happen to them. 25. Moreover, I gave them statutes that were not good and rules by which they could not have life. This translation I don't like. I'm I'm going to switch to another translation in just a minute. 26. And I 
defiled them through their very gifts in their offering up all their firstborn that I might devastate them. I did it that they might know that I am the Lord. That sounds like God gave them bad instruction. Let me take you to another translation. And by the way, this is the majority translation that I just read. But if you go to uh, New King Jimmy, it reads a little differently. So 25 in New King Jimmy. Therefore, I also gave them up to statutes that were not good. In other words, it isn't that God invented bad statutes. What he did is these people through their idolatry came up with wacky rules of their own and God gave them up to those rules. King James and New King James are the only ones that read that way. Yeah, and you may do whatever you want with that, but I kind of prefer that translation for obvious reasons. So let me finish reading the thought in New King James. Therefore, I also gave them up to statutes that were not good and judgments by which they could not live. And I pronounced them unclean because of their ritual gifts in that they caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire, that I might make them desolate and that they might know that I am the Lord. Very different flavor from what I just read in the English Standard Version. Basically, you had people among Israel who sat up thinking of ways to be abominable. And God said, okay, you want to invent ways to be abominable? Go ahead, be abominable. And that's different than God himself inventing ways and teaching them ways to be abominable. As I say, I happen to like that translation better, but I am not enough of, I'm not a Hebrew scholar at all. But even if I were, I probably wouldn't be good enough to tell the difference. And it may be a manuscript difference, I don't know. 27. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, thus says the Lord God, in this also your fathers blasphemed me by dealing treacherously with me. For when I had brought them into the land that I swore to give them, then whatever they saw, any high hill or any leafy tree, there they offered their sacrifices, and there they presented the provocation of their offering. There they sent up their pleasing aromas, and there they poured out their drink offerings. I said to them, what is the high place to which you go? So its name is called Bema to this day. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and go whoring after their detestable things? When you present your gifts and offer up your children in fire, you defile yourselves with all your idols to this day. And shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Remember, that's how this chapter started. And he's just explaining to him why he's not going to answer. What is in your mind shall never happen. The thought. Quote, let us be like the nations, like the tribes of the countries, and worship wood and stone. So what he's saying is, Israel, the thing that you really want is you want to be just like everybody else. And God says, if you want to be unchosen, too bad. It's not going to happen. Verse 33. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. Notice, by the way, where do you go when you come out of Egypt? Wilderness. We all have another wilderness sojourn ahead of us. So the pattern is consistent. 35. I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, 
and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. What happens in the wilderness? You have the presence of God in your camp. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Passing under the rod is something that a conqueror did. When a nation conquered another nation, what they did is they made the soldiers of the other nation pass under the rod, which means coming under the authority of, combination of symbolism and humiliation. So what he's saying is, I will make you pass under the rod because I am going to be your king, and you are going to be under my authority. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you his idols, now and hereafter. If you will not listen to me, but my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. So what he's saying is, I don't want to hear it from you. You will not be inquired of me. Go worship your idols, but quit trying to do my religious rituals, because I will not have my name profaned in your mouth anymore. 40. For on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them, shall serve me in the land. There I will accept them, and there I will require your contributions and the choices of your gifts with all your sacred offerings. So we're talking millennial kingdom here. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give to your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves, and you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds. O house of Israel declares the Lord God, thank God. First off, everybody's going to get ripped out of Egypt, the nations. And there's going to be lots and lots of people who are like Lot's wife. They've got business dealings, they've got houses, they've got all sorts of stuff that they're going to miss, and they are going to go kicking and screaming. But as I read this, the ones who get left in the wilderness are the rebels. So he's going to bring everybody out, most of them kicking and screaming. And he's going to separate the rebels in the wilderness, and they are not going to go into the land. But when we get in there, assuming that we're not among the rebels, May we not be. But assuming we're not, when we get there, we are going to be devastated looking back on all of the stuff that we have done in the wilderness. In other words, just as I dealt with every generation before you, it was my inclination to wipe you out, but for my name's sake, I did not. And I will not wipe you out for the same reason. Praise God. When I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds. In other words, I am not going to deal with you the way you deserve to be dealt with. I am going to deal with you according to my mercy. Even though we both are going to know 
that you deserve to be wiped out. 45. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward the southland, preach against the south, and prophesy against the land of the Negev. Say to the forest of the Negev, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour every green tree in you and every dry tree. The blazing flame shall not be quenched, and all the faces from south to north shall be scorched by it. All flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. When I say, Ah, Lord God, they are saying of me, Is he not a maker of parables? Starting back in verse 45 that we just read, is that the tribulation? It certainly could be because it fits. You have great forest fires in Revelation. It could also be simply Ezekiel looking forward to the proximate destruction of Jerusalem and Judah. Or it could be both. One of the things that we see over and over in Scripture as you start to recognize patterns is the things that happen to the fathers happen to the sons. And so the fact that this may have happened under Nebuchadnezzar to Judah at that time does not mean that it will not also happen again. <laughs> 